Hey everyone, Kelly here, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Let's Go Together. We're taking a break to record new episodes, but we wanted to share an episode from another podcast we love that features people who persevere through many obstacles to achieve their goals. This week, we're sharing an episode of Latina to Latina, an interview series from Lantigua Williams & Co. Host Alicia Menendez has riveting and often hilarious conversations with, you guessed it, other remarkable Latinas. They talk about business, culture, careers, and thriving as women of color. In this episode, Menendez talks to fashion entrepreneur Liliana Vasquez, founder of online boutique Tesoro Collective. She talks about growing up as a first-generation Latina in Texas and how she made her way into covering red carpet and building a fashion brand. Here's Liliana Vasquez in conversation with host Alicia Menendez on Latina to Latina. Enjoy! Hey there, I'm Alicia Menendez. This is Latina to Latina. Each week, we talk with Latinas on the rise. Hi, I'm Liliana Vasquez, style expert and founder of TesoroCollective.com. The stage is set at Radio City for this year's MTV Video Music Awards. And who knows what kind of fun we'll get into on this year's Pink Carpet. Let's get this party started. Such a TV person. <laughs> I love that it is raining in New York City and you look adorable. You have on a hat, a cardigan, a vintage T-shirt, a short <laughs> denim skirt, white sneakers. And I am here in black stretch pants and a shirt that my friend didn't want anymore and gave to me. So I think this really sums up our aesthetics. I love that that is the first thing that you said to me when I walked in. I think here's the thing. I've always thought this about clothes. Clothes are the truest, most honest representation of a person. And it's who you are at the core. And it's for me, whether it's raining or a perfect 89 degree day with no humidity, I love clothes and I love getting dressed. And that brings me joy. So I choose joy every single time I go in my closet. It's not the same for everyone. Some people choose joy through food. Some people choose joy through work or working out. But people always ask that. They're like, how do you have the energy to like put together all these outfits and look cute all the time? I don't think of it as looking cute. It's what brings me happiness. I love putting clothes together for myself or for other people. I don't think I'd be around this long if I didn't. What is the most fashionable moment you had growing up? Growing up, I think it was my third grade class photo day. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I had bought a white sweater vest that had little <laughs> Scotty dogs all over it. By the way, in case you don't know who I am or you know nothing about me, hi, I'm Liliana and I love fashion. Okay, like I know that kids have proper memories of birthday parties and I have those too, but all of the pivotal moments in my life are defined by things that I wore. And I remember this third grade photo because in third grade, we wore uniforms to school, but on picture day, we got to wear our chosen outfit. And I remember going to Montgomery Wards with my mom and picking out the most beautiful white sweater vest. It wasn't cashmere, but to me, it felt like cashmere. And it had little white Scotty dogs. And I wore what is the equivalent of a pussy blow blouse on an eight-year-old. And I had just cut bangs, and I thought that I looked so good in this photo. I look back on it now, and it's fine, but I remember it being that age and being like, I want to do a bang 
for my picture. We cut bangs. I knew I wanted to wear that blouse that was way too grown up for an eight-year-old. And I was so proud of that little Scotty dog vest. And then I wore a, like a little mini skirt and I wore Mary Jane's. And I loved that outfit. And I repeated that outfit at any point in time that my mom would let me wear. <laughs> there were not too many occasions for that outfit. But when the occasion happened, I wore it over and over and over again. And I swear, that was one of the—I I probably felt more confident that day than I've probably felt on any red carpet in the last 10 years. As someone who loves fashion, I imagine you have a closet that is bursting at the seams. Yes. What are your rules for editing it? Oh, God, I'm a terrible editor. I wish I were a better editor. One of my rules is— you're only going to wear the things that you can actually see. So I do try to put the things that I love forward in my closet so I can wear them over and over again. And then I'll have a moment where I think, I haven't worn this in three months or six months. And I try to swap those things out. I tend to go back to the things that I love. And as I get older, I'm trying to make smarter decisions about what I spend my money on and the quality of the clothes that I spend my money on. I'm starting to learn that, you know, buying a beautiful cashmere sweater is something that you're going to have for 10 years versus buying something that's acrylic and 50% wool from H&M. So I'm trying to make better decisions, but I am not a great editor. I think I'm a great wearer. So one thing that I do is I will change outfits in a day. I know that most people will get up and pick one outfit and wear it the whole day. There are times when I have changed my outfit three times in a day. I'm like a small baby. You know when you have like a newborn (laughs) and you like are like, oh, they're going to start in this outfit and then they spit up all over it. So then you've got to change their outfit and then you want to take them to like meet your friends. So you change. Sometimes I think about myself that way, and I'll change outfits two times. I have so much stress over your dry cleaning <laughs> bill. <laughs> it's bad, but I also hand wash a lot. It's, like, therapeutic for me. Um, I hand wash a lot. I hang dry in my closet. I have a very, very good relationship with my dry cleaners, and they give me a massive discount, which is great. But I love getting dressed. And to me, it's like trying something new. And especially when I'm on vacation, we went on vacation for my birthday. We went to the Bahamas, and we went for three nights and four days. My husband basically packed everything in a North Face backpack for himself. I brought an international-sized tote, like a giant you know, suitcase. And I did multiple costume changes in the Bahamas. And it was amazing. I love the photos. I felt so great. I was smiling from ear to ear. People were stopping me and asking me where I got stuff. And most of the clothes that I buy now and most of the clothes that I've bought in the last few years are really affordable. I mean, that's kind of how I've built my brand is on accessibility because I do think that it's not about spending a ton of money often. I think it's just about spending money on the clothes that can look really expensive. And the way things look expensive, it was, it was obviously with a ton of confidence, great accessories and great hair and makeup. I'm thinking of you on that trip to the Bahamas <laughs> with that big suitcase. And there's a part of me that's like, Liliana, that's ridiculous. It and is. there's a part of me that's also that that is your thing and that is yeah. your brand. So when you go on vacation, mm-hmm. like, is your husband taking your influencer pictures? Okay, so this is the question I get asked all the time. So I am very, very lucky to be married to somebody who is an incredible photographer. Now, that is just by chance and by practice. His preference is to take surf photos and nature pics. But I quickly saw that he had an eye for photography. And I said to him, will you take some photos of me? Now, The problem with him taking fashion-type photos is that he doesn't like clothes and he doesn't like fashion. And if you've ever been at a photo shoot, you know that to get the right shot, sometimes you've got to take a 100 shots, right, just to get the right one, even with a professional photographer. Now, Patrick will probably take five. 
So I better have that pose down. I better make sure that I looked in the mirror and knew that that sleeve was going to hang off by like a quarter inch and adjust my shoulder because he will give me five photos. But on this last trip to the Bahamas, I have to say that I did one of the boldest things that I've ever done for myself, which is I bought a tripod and I bought a shutter release. And I set up my own camera on a tripod and I learned how to play with the shutter and the timer. And I literally would tuck the timer in like my bikini bottom and then just take as many photos as I wanted. And now I travel with that tripod, which was $19.99 on Amazon and that shutter release, which was $24.99 on Amazon. And now I take 90% of my own photos. Growing up, is this what you thought you'd be doing? Oh my gosh. No, I listen, I always loved fashion. So I think maybe it was one of those things that growing up, I'm first generation Latina. I'm one of the first because my family to go to college. So I always thought that I would be an accountant, a lawyer or a doctor, which were the only kind of acceptable professions because they're steady and you make a good income. I think if I probably gave myself the space to dream a little bit bigger when I was a little girl, I probably in my head felt like fashion was really where my heart was. I remember I used to watch this woman, Gloria Campos, on TV in Dallas growing up, and she was the only, not just the only anchor, I think she was one of the only reporters that was Latina. And I remember thinking, God, like, she's amazing. She was almost like this unicorn to me, Um, just to see somebody that had, you know, my kind of skin tone and my coloring. I had dark hair and dark eyes. And to see somebody like her in Texas, which is, I mean, not this is a bad thing, but, you know, the land of, like, blonde hair and blue eyes and cheerleaders, it it was really special. And I think that also kind of made an imprint on me. And I thought, I wonder if I could ever do something like that. And not that my family or my parents ever said I couldn't, but... They just didn't even know how I would get there. I didn't know anyone that worked in television. My parents didn't have a cousin that was a station manager or a producer or someone in L.A. My family was all in Fort Worth and Mexico. That's it. Most of them worked in a factory or in a mill. That's why I think it is so important to continue to mentor and have interns that are Latina that come from my hometown or that come from Texas or that come from Arizona because a lot of them don't think that they can do this, right? We're always, I don't know, I just feel like we're not given a ton of exposure to media and fashion. And if I could do it, that means that there's a million other little girls that can too. But coming from a more middle-class community, what do you call it? I mean, Um, barely middle-class, yeah. Yeah. Working middle-class community. How do you reconcile that with being part of an industry that is very privileged, very elite, and that you and I are sitting here talking about the Bahamas and talking about about the luxury of buying a cashmere sweater? I mean, I think for me, the way I reconcile it is part of who I've always been is based in accessibility, right? And I've always said this from the beginning. I think when I started my blog, I've always said that for me, there's this cross-section of accessibility and aspiration. And you need the aspirational stuff because you want to dream and you want to see and you want to have the opportunity to experience those things, even if you read about them or watch videos online. Then there's the accessibility component, which is, well, how, you know, how can I relate to people that can't do that? And how does everything I say and do and create reach those people? And that's how I reconcile it. I want to make sure that if I'm presenting something that is aspirational, that I'm doing it through a lens that is very accessible. And the other way around, too. You know, it's also, it's not just about, people always say this, like, oh, that's so great. This was a blog for people that don't have a lot of money to, like, look really expensive. And I was like, yes, that's one component. This is also a blog for women that have a lot of money that maybe decide, hey, 
I'm a single 27-year-old woman and I have money and now I want to change the focus of where I'm spending my money and I want to save money for a down payment so that I can buy my own apartment in New York, but I still want to look just as good as I did this whole time. How can I save money and how to make that savings something that's really enjoyable and that doesn't detract from that lifestyle? It's a two-way thing. People always thought, oh, it's for people that don't have money that want to look like they have money or dress like they have money. You've had all the jobs. Yeah, I've had a lot of jobs. (laughs) Meredith Vieira. Access Hollywood. Yeah. How do you learn to take those opportunities because they come and they go and not hold them too closely? I think that's been probably the hardest lesson for me, and I don't know that I'm very good at that. I think that when you work in television and media, your fate on a show or your fate in a role isn't really up to you. I mean, I can tell you this. I go into every single one of those opportunities, and I work as hard as I can on any given day. I go far and above what is asked of me. And most of those shows, I mean, two of the shows I still work on, but Meredith, I don't work on anymore. And that wasn't by my choice. That was by a decision that someone else made. And I'm learning to get better and not take it so personally. Um, And the only way I can do that is to know that at the end of each day, I just kind of like say a little prayer saying, hey, listen, I gave it my best. And I did the most that I could, and I am proud of the work that I've done, and whatever happens tomorrow happens, and there's nothing that I can change about that. So I think that helps a lot because most of the time it's not really about you, and you can't get tied up in it. And I also think that learning to build something that is yours, that you have control over, and that other people don't have control over also gives you a sense of security that being – at the hands of anybody else isn't going to give you, you know? And is that where Tesoro Collective comes in? 100%. So can you tell us about it? Yeah, of course. So um, clearly I love clothes. Um, And for the longest time, I have wanted to have a store. I've always wanted to have a store. I think when I moved to Philadelphia, I really kind of, it cemented for me. Philly has an amazing fashion scene. And I lived in a neighborhood that had tons of beautiful boutiques. And I always thought, gosh, I wish I could just open a store here. I never got around to it. And I also saw the retail landscape changing a ton. And in the last three years, it's really changed a lot. Brands are being founded on Instagram, and brands are literally becoming an overnight success just through having an Instagram account and a shoppable website. And last summer, um, I walked into a store in Montauk. My husband and I love the beach, and we have a house out there. And there's this beautiful men's store. And I walked in, and I said, listen, your store is gorgeous, but you're missing one thing. And the owner was like, "Um, I didn't ask you what I was missing. Thanks so much for the information. But I was feeling kind of bold that day. he said, what? I said, you're actually missing women's. The bulk of the customers out here are women because it's in New York City, a lot of couples, um, the men tend to stay back in the city during the summer and the women and kids go out to the beach to live at their houses. And I said, so there's going to be women here all the time and you don't have anything for them to buy. I work in fashion. Here's who I am. I'm a style expert. Why don't you let me curate just a couple of racks of women's clothes that I think would sell really well here? And he said, if you can run it and you can handle the inventory, go for it. And I did, and it was super successful. So we did a very tiny pop-up in this store last summer called Adam Marr, and the brand was called Tesoro Collective. Now, the reason I named it Tesoro is because that is my mom's nickname for my brother and I. She calls us her tesoros, which means treasure in Spanish. And I love that word. I think it's such a beautiful word. And I thought of this collection as treasures that I curate for my fans and followers and fans of the brand. And then I called it Collective because I didn't really know that I just wanted it to be clothes. I thought maybe one day it could incorporate home goods or maybe if I have a baby, like baby things. I just didn't want to limit myself. So Tesoro Collective was born as a pop-up. And when it ended, 
I was really sad at the end of last summer going into the fall, really, really sad. And when you work in our business, you go, go, go. And you rarely have time to stop and process why you're not feeling great that day or why you're sad or why you're blue. Luckily, I have a very intuitive husband who could sense that something was really wrong. And he said, just think about why you're sad. And I said, I'm not sad. It's just, you know, I've moved on. And he said, no, I think you're really sad because you don't have it anymore and you really loved it. And he goes, think about it. I said, okay. So I did. And he was right. I was really sad because it was over and I didn't know if it was going to come back. And so he said, why don't you take some of the money that you've made into Sorrow and build out a website? It's not that hard. I'm sure you know a ton of people that can help you. And he was right. Everybody that I knew that had worked in digital, in e-commerce, in buying, all came together and I called in favors. I rarely ask for favors. I just, I don't know. I think I'm always saving them for like a rainy day. You never know when you're going to need it. And I saved all my favors and I called them all in all at the same time. And Tesoro Collective was born. And now I have a brand that is mine and authentically mine. I buy every single piece myself. So nothing gets on the site. Nothing gets put on our Instagram if it's not something that I want in the store. Um, I wear probably 95% of everything on the site. Some of the stuff I don't just because it's a sizing thing. Um, And I love it. It's been super successful. So we launched uh, a week before Black Friday last November. It'll be a year in November. And we are finally making a profit. So I'm very, very happy about that. And we just did our second summer at Adamar. And we're going to sign on for a third summer next summer. And I think next summer I'll probably try to do a self-standing store, um, even if it's just seasonally out in the Hamptons, whether it's Montauk or East Hampton or Amagansett. And I love it. And now we're partnering with different brands. Um, Saba is a brand that I love. It's a shoe brand. They have a beautiful store in Dallas. So I want to do a pop-up in Dallas. And I think that's the way that brands are headed. I think it's all about collaboration. For me, I don't have the kind of capital to build out a physical store space or to lease a space as a pop-up. But I know a ton of brands that don't carry clothes that would love to have women's clothes. And you know what else? I can go on television and talk about the event. And that's something that is unique about me as a store owner. I am media trained and I can speak very well on behalf of many other brands. And I finally get to speak on behalf of my own brand. And it's been a dream come true for me. That gives me a sense of security that I don't think I have had ever in my career. I know that if I really want something to be successful, it's up to me, and I'm willing to put in the time and the hard work and the sweat and the blood and the tears because there have been there's been all of that to make this work, and it's important to me. I want to back way up. Do it. How did you end up on TV? Oh my gosh, um, this is such a funny story. Okay, so. The very first TV job I ever had was on a show called Central Park Summer Stage. And it was a local public access show here in New York City. And I answered an ad on Craigslist to audition for it. Now, I had worked in radio um, in college. I had done an entertainment show for our station. And I knew I loved it. I'd also written for the newspaper. So I knew that there was something I loved about media and radio. And we didn't have a TV station in college because we built it, I think, my senior year. And I just wasn't a part of that. And I went to their studio in Brooklyn on J Street. And I auditioned, just like I'm sure hundreds of other people auditioned. And I got the job. I don't know how I got the job because I had to read a prompter and I had never read a prompter in my life before. And it was a show that filmed every weekend in Central Park. And my job was to talk to the audience and talk to the band and they would air the concert live on that show. And it was so much fun. It was so hot. I was so sweaty. I watched those DVDs probably two years ago. I was so bad, like (laughs) so bad. 
I think maybe nobody else auditioned, and that's why they gave me the job. Well, someone must have thought you were good. Listen, I don't know. They were tired of looking at tapes, and they're like, this one. And that was my very, very, very first job on TV. And is your blog how you ended up on the Today Show? My blog is how I ended up on the Today Show. Yeah, I started the blog in— Cheap Chicas? Cheap Chicas. Yeah, it was the Cheap Chicas Guide to Style. I started it in 2008, and nobody likes to think back to 2008 because that's when everybody lost everything. Um, But it was a perfect time to start a, you know, kind of a— fashionable blog that was focused on savings and style without a price tag. And I did local segments based on that blog. A reporter at ABC in Philly found it and said, hey, could you possibly take me shopping at H&M and show me how to recreate celebrity looks for less? I said, sure. And then that led to an opportunity at NBC. And then somebody at the Nate Berkus show saw it. And I started pitching the Today Show. But I told the story on my Instagram live a few weeks ago. I pitched the Today Show I think for almost two years, and I never got a response back. Never. Not one time. It wasn't until a friend of mine who had a relationship with a producer there pitched me on behalf of a segment that I actually got on the show. It was probably just that I wasn't sending it to the right person. Also, that I probably didn't have the right experience at that time. And I always tell people this who want to work in television. I mean, you have to learn to crawl before you can walk and before you can run. And you might think that you're ready, but you're probably not ready. And I wasn't ready when I was pitching them. And everything happens for a reason. And when I did get the opportunity, I was ready. At that point, I had probably done hundreds of local segments. I had probably done 30 national segments on other daytime shows. And thank goodness I was ready because with those, like when the stakes are that high with those opportunities, you kind of only get one shot. So I've noticed occasionally Mm -hmm. on your Instagram account, you get (laughs) political, especially in these times when it is challenging not to be political. Yes. When is it important enough to you to stand up and say something? I here's okay, so political, right? It's a it's a polarizing word. And I kind of back away from the word. I don't think I'm being political. I think I'm being human. And I think I'm being honest. And I think that I am expressing my feelings as the person that I am. And so an example of this would be during the The family separations. Yeah, during family separations at the border. In my home state, to me, there are issues that transcend political parties, and that is one of them. I do not want to live in a world or live in a country where children uh, are separated from their parents. I don't care what the reason is. I just don't stand for it. Whether you're Republican, Green, Tea Party, Democrat, it does not matter when you are a parent or an aunt or somebody that has children in their lives. If you can't go to bed at night knowing that if tomorrow the police knocked on your door and just took your child from you, you'd be okay with it, then you're not okay with what happened at the border. But this issue, I mean, I talk about it now and it makes me want to like, it makes me want to, I just, it's, it's horrible. And as somebody who has struggled to have children and I see people, you know, I, it just was really personal. I've never heard you talk before about struggling to have kids. Yeah, it's a really it's a hard one. It's a real hard one. It's been um, it's been a long it's been the hardest thing I think I've ever done. And this experience with my husband has been a lesson in the fact that I cannot control everything. And you probably can't control most things. And the things that you can control sometimes aren't really the things that you really want that mean the most. And that has been a lesson that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. And it's um, it's hard, but it's also really nice because you get to talk to people 
that are going through the same thing. And I am not a very open person publicly. And when I say that, I think you understand what I mean by that. Yes, <laughs> I'm on TV. And yes, I have an Instagram that gives you like an insight into my life. But there are certain things that are incredibly private and certain things that are incredibly sacred to me that I do not share. Infertility is one of those issues that I just... I think for me, I've seen a lot of people share their journeys on television and on their blogs and on their websites. It's their choice to do that. It just hasn't been mine. And it's something that I wanted to do with my husband and I and my family, my very, very close friends. And I've been asked a million times to share it um, on TV, in a magazine, in an article. And I think when there's good news to share, maybe I'll feel different. But A lot of times, I think what happens is as women go through infertility, you tend to only hear success stories. And it is very, very challenging and very, very hard to not be one of those success stories. It is a story that needs to be told because for every woman that is successful through IVF, there's probably five more that aren't. And those women don't have a voice. But a lot of times I think that's by choice. So for me... When there's something to tell, I will tell. And maybe I just won't, you know. And at the end of the day, I think Patrick and I have decided that we will be parents. And I can live with that. I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. When you are a stylist and a television host and a businesswoman, (laughs) do you ever feel like you're enough Mm. of any of those things? I have good days when I do think that I'm enough. Um, I will say that... In the last job description you mentioned, business owner, that's probably where I feel like I'm most enough. And I think that that has a lot to do with I get a lot of pleasure and happiness out of seeing the people on my team happy and succeeding. And um, I feel enough as a business owner on most days. In television, as a stylist or a host, I'm trying. It's hard. It's really hard. Probably not. It's so competitive and it's very political. And I'm not a really political person. So, no, I don't. No, I probably don't feel like enough. But that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother (laughs) issue that we need to call my therapist in for. Liliana, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really wonderful. Hey, one of the best ways to support us, besides telling everyone you know about us, is by listening on the Radio Public app. When you listen there, we get paid. And the app's tip button lets you leave us a tip of any amount up to $100. Major shout out and thank you to the individuals who left us our first two tips. We promise to spend it wisely. Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Amita Ganatra was the sound designer on this episode. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Send us ideas for guests or talk to us about what's on your mind right now. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. 